Well, on the 31st of October, 1570, so tomorrow, about 500-odd years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the castle church in Wittenberg in Germany, sparking off the Reformation, which awakened the church to, uh, and the world, really, to the truth of our salvation, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And uh, the first one of, of his theses reads as follows. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And then, of course, He went on and expounded what that meant. But these words are as true uh, today as they were when Martin Luther first penned them. And they are as true today as when Jesus first spoke them, when He came and called people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we have been looking, study the kingdom of heaven through the gospel of Matthew. And so, the first 10 chapters, we really saw Matthew presenting Jesus as the king, uh, the one who came preaching repentance uh, then in chapters 11 to 12, we saw uh, the rejection of the king and with him the kingdom of, of heaven that he offered. Uh, a rejection, really, that rejection did not derail God's kingdom plans and purposes, for he determined and he's determined to restore his kingdom on earth, his mediatorial kingdom through man, which was usurped by Satan. Uh, through the fall, uh, he will restore his reign over the earth through man, uh, which is, of course, Christ, the second Adam. And he progressively revealed his plan throughout the Old Testament, as, as we saw in the prophecies, that he would come and save his people from their sin. He would come and, and establish Messiah as, as king and reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem that he would restore Israel as a nation to himself and then also to their land, um, and he would subdue the Gentile nations uh, to come and, and pay homage to him, and he will establish his reign, a reign of righteousness and of justice and of peace that will know no end. Uh, he will also reverse the curse that was pronounced on nature, at the fall and will restore nature to its pre-form, fall uh, identity conditions, just as prophesied by his prophets. Um, and he will do this because he is the God of truth, his word is truth, his promises are sure, and his plans and purposes are certain, for he is faithful and he is true, he is powerful to accomplish every word which he had uttered. Now, uh, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of, that Jesus offered uh, to Israel was this prophesied kingdom, uh, which was rejected by Israel and will now wait until His second coming to be fulfilled. Uh, but until then, the kingdom program will continue. Jesus used the parables here in Matthew 13 to reveal to us new truth about the kingdom during this interim period between the first and second coming. And that this is the interim period, the kingdom will be primarily spiritual in nature. The coming of the kingdom of, of, of heaven in the hearts of man as they come to faith in the king, the savior that it, the kingdom will be of mixed nature, that there will be mixed in it both true and false believers, both the wicked and the righteous would be part of that kingdom. Uh, the kingdom will have a small beginnings, uh, like the mustard seed, but will expand uh, in size and influence real to, to, to really fill the earth. Uh, the kingdom is of priceless value, uh, worth more than anything we have or give or sacrifice. It's a hidden treasure. It's the pearl of great price. And at the consummation of the kingdom, the consummation of the kingdom will be preceded by judgment. The separation of the false from the truth. 
a selection from the good out of among the bad, a sorting of the righteous from the evil, as the parable of the tares among wheat uh, showed us, and also the parable which is under study this morning, the parable of the dragnet. And so this morning we'll look at both the parable of the dragnet and then a very short parable that follows that, which I will term the parable of the, of the disciples, really. And so let us read Matthew 47, or rather 13, verse 47 through to 52. Matthew 13, 47 reads, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angel will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood these things? And they said to him, Yes. And Jesus said to them, Therefore every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a, of a household who brings out his treasure, things new and old. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you in need of your, in need of your grace, Lord, uh, in need of your, your empowering spirit, your illuminating spirit, Lord, to open our eyes, Lord, to minister to our hearts the truth of your word. And Father, so I pray, Lord, that each one within the hearing of my voice, Lord, would, would consider the things that are being proclaimed. Lord, examine ourselves in light of it. And Lord, seek you um, as our Savior and our King. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so first of all, the, the parable of the dragnet. Uh, this is a parable, of course, which uh, appealed probably very much to the disciples because that is exactly what they have been doing. They, they, well, most of them were fishermen. And so uh, they've been doing what Jesus described here for years. Uh, now, a dragnet is, is really a long net that with, with floats on one side and, and weights on the other side. And so that when it hangs in the water, it hangs like, like this curtain really stretching uh, from the surface to, to, the, to the bottom of, of the lake or the sea. And on the ends, it's attached to ropes. Uh, and so boats would, would either you would uh, have them uh, encircle a body of water uh, and then bring it to, together, or if it's close to the shore, they would lie it in a straight line, and those on the shore would pull it in uh, to shore, basically catching everything in its path. And it's a very indiscriminate way of catching fish. Um, and so therefore, you could find uh, in a catch like that a great variety of fish, some of them edible, some of them not so much. Uh, but as they bring the catch onto the shore, they needed to be sorted. They needed to be uh, selected what is to be kept and what is to be discarded. And so the fishermen would sit down and pick, up the, pick out the good edible fish and place them in containers while the bad fish are discarded. And so Jesus said, this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven would be like. And then he gives a brief explanation um, following that. And, and really from that explanation, we see that the focus of this parable is coming judgment. It's not so much on the fishermen and their activities. It's not so much even on the mixed nature of the catch. But it's on the act of separating the righteous from the wicked and the wicked from the righteous. And so this is what Jesus focused on in this parable. Uh, Jesus said that such a separation, such a sorting, such a uh, segregation will take place on the day of judgment at the end of the age. And so, when will that be, would be the logical question. Well, it's at the end of the age. 
Um, when is that? Well, uh, it will be at really at Christ's return. On his return, he will consummate the kingdom in all its prophesied glory. And it is at that time that judgment will occur. The sorting out through all who have been caught by the nets of the kingdom, the gospel net of the kingdom, and be dragged to, to shore, there will be a sorting that will happen. And so as the, the exact time of Christ's return, we don't know. We don't know when that will happen. No one knows except God the Father. Uh, the angels did not, does not know, and, and nor does anyone else know. But Jesus did not know at that time. And of course, that was speaking during His incarnation. Uh, it is a product of Him emptying Himself. That means that He temporarily and willingly laid aside the independent use of His godly attributes, His divine attributes like omniscience, and subjected that to the Spirit. And so he certainly knows now, now that he has ascended in heaven, but in his incarnation he did not know, it was not revealed to him, uh, and therefore he did not reveal that to his disciples. But really, that time we see, we see in Matthew 24, maybe if you can turn to Matthew 24, verse 36, where Jesus speaks really of uh, the end of the age, uh, when it will be, and what, what are the things that will take place at that time. But verse 36 of Matthew 24 reads, But on that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field, and one will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and one will be left." And so really in the context of what this passage indicates to us is that those who are being taken away, they are the ones who are being taken away in judgment. While those who remain are those who will enter with Christ into His kingdom. Remember Noah's day, those who were taken away at Noah's days were those who were taken away in judgment. Only those who are saved were those of the family of Noah in the ark, and they were the ones who remained on the earth. And so likewise here, the, the two men who will be in the field together, one will be taken away in judgment and the other one would remain. The two women grinding in the mill, one will be taken away into judgment and the other one would, will remain. And so the kingdom, uh, this parable of the kingdom and the kingdom net in this parable really could be understood as the gospel net, the gospel of the kingdom laid out or cast into the sea of the sea of the world. And when it is drawn up, all those who have made a profession of allegiance to Christ the King will be dragged up with that. But as I said, this dragnet is a very indiscriminate way of fishing, unlike line fishing. Um, with line fishing, you normally target a specific species of fish. And so the spot that you pick to fish at, the time of day you go, the, the bait you use, the, the fishing tackle setup that you use are all chosen to target a specific species of fish that you want to catch. Not so with the dragnet. The dragnet is very indiscriminate. It catches everything. And so when it comes to gospel fishing, we ought to be dragnet fishers of men, not line fishers. We cannot beforehand decide who is to hear the gospel and who is not. We have to proclaim the gospel as you spread a net to all to hear. 
the gospel net is really the universal call of all men to respond to Christ. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. He did not make a distinction. But, however, as this parable teaches us, not all those who are called are chosen. That's what Matthew twenty-two fourteen reads. Many are called, but few are chosen. And so people may respond to the call of the, the king for, for various reasons, as we saw in the parable of the sower. But it is only those of true faith in the person of Jesus Christ and His work of salvation it is them that are bestowed with the righteousness they need to enter into the kingdom. A righteousness not of their own, which Scripture says are but filthy rags. A righteousness that is superior to the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees of that day. It's a, only the righteousness of Christ that will suffice. The perfect righteousness, not derived from the law, but a righteousness that's come, which comes from God on the basis of faith in Christ Jesus. And so people, Christ's righteousness are our righteousness only to the extent that we are in Him. When we are united with Him by the Spirit of God through faith. And we need to guard against really thinking of the blessings of salvation and the benefits of the kingdom as somehow being separated from the person of Christ. And, and, and we, we see that in many of, the, of our evangelical circles and, and reformed thinking that we are so enamored with the doctrines of of our salvation, the doctrines of justification, of, of sanctification, of adoption, uh, all the wonderful doctrines of our salvation, and somehow we marvel at that and we turn our back on the one in whom these things are ours. They need to point us to Christ. And when you, re when you see the, doctrine of, of the doctrines of salvation, that needs to make you turn and, and marvel in Christ, because these are yours only as you are in Him, as you abide in Him, as you are united to Him by the Spirit. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Um, Ephesians chapter 1. And maybe just as we read this section, verses 1 to 14, just count the number of times we read of in Him, in Christ. Verse 1 reads, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption through as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, He made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His kind intention, which He purposed in Him, with a view of the administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heavens and things on earth. In Him, we also, also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Everything that we have, we have because we have been united to Christ through the Spirit, by the Spirit, through faith. And so all the great doctrines of salvation are only ever ours as you are in Him. And so let us not be guilty of seeking in Christ something else than Christ Himself. That's what John Calvin said. Don't seek Christ for the gifts His works has won. Seek Christ for Christ's sake. Come to Him for His sake. Be found in Him. So that you may know Him. That you may love Him. That you may live for Him and with Him. Now there is a judgment coming in this parable. A great sorting, so to speak. For the angels will come at the end of the age on that day and separate the wicked from among the righteous. Only the righteous will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those with the righteousness of Christ will enter the kingdom. But as I said, Jesus in this parable is not focused on the righteous and what will become of them, but on the wicked and what awaits them. The furnace of fire, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we have heard this before earlier in verse 20, oh sorry, verse 42. But Jesus repeats it here for emphasis. This is important. People need to hear this. That there is coming a day and it will be a day of hysteria. When the wicked are taken away to a place of horrors under the sounds of their protest saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not perform many miracles in your name? And Jesus will denounce them saying, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers or your practice, who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7, 22 and 23, verses 22 and 23. People, that day is a, is a terrible day. It's a, it's a terrifying day. And Jesus spoke more of that place and that day than, than anyone else in the New Testament. And we are not warning people anywhere near enough with tears in our eyes and fears on our voice against that terrible day and that terrifying place. That day when the dragnet is closed and the sorting commences. Judgment is coming. And the separation of the wicked from the righteous will be complete, will be thorough, will be absolute, will be total. Now, the kingdom of heaven is, is mixed. We have much good, but also much evil in it. We have sons of the kingdom, but also sons of the devil in it. We have a mingling, a mixture, a medley of good and evil within the kingdom but then we will have a complete and utter separation with all and every son of the devil removed, with all the wicked removed, with all and every unrighteous person led away in judgment. And what will remain will be pure and righteous, holy, loved and acceptable made so by our union with Christ. For by His doing, 
we are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That's why whoever wished to boast, let him boast in Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And the grounds of this separation has already been laid. It was laid by Jesus at His first coming. It was laid by the offer of the gospel. Whether you will be led away in judgment or to hell or be received with joy in the kingdom of heaven depends on what you have done with Jesus. How you have responded to Him. Whether we have been found in Him and He is our greatest treasure and our pearl, the most precious pearl. And we have sought to forsake all other blessings and all other things that we may value in order to gain Him. Count all other things rubbish for the sake of knowing Him. Whether we have responded with faith and are yielding the fruit of the gospel in our lives or have started out well, but under the persecution and opposition, we've withered like the parable of the sower with the seed that fell on a rocky place. Or when the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches have choked out our trust in Christ. John 3, 16 reads, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The broad net. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. When Jesus came, He came as a Savior. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And so people today, when people hear the gospel and they turn away from that and says, I don't want anything to do with it, they are judging themselves. They are placing themselves under judgment. And by God's grace, you can know, I can know today what will happen to us on that day. For we know what we have decided. You know the choices of your heart. Whether you still love this world or whether you love Christ more than anything and everything else. You know whether the Spirit of God is testifying to your spirit, whether you are a child of His. And so judgment is coming, and we know the ground of our judgment. It is what we have done with Jesus. Have we received Him through faith and re or reject Him in unbelief? If you are not sure, people, make sure today. Ask the Spirit of God to either convict you or to comfort you. Convict you if you have not turned to Him or comfort you if you have. John 16 verse 8 to 11 really talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And then Jesus explained, He says, concerning sin, because they did not believe in Him. That is the greatest sin that you can commit on this earth. The sin of unbelief. Concerning righteousness, because he went to the Father 
the perfectly holy one, meaning that he was perfectly righteous. And it's when we believe in him that we will receive his righteousness and therefore will make ourselves acceptable to God in him. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The world judged Jesus to be guilty, to be unworthy of life. And so they crucified him. But as we know, this world lies under the sway of Satan, whose judgments, all his judgments are lies. And so the sons of Satan judged Jesus to be worthy of death, while he committed no sin. And today, likewise, many judge Jesus to be nobody, irrelevant, a mere man, perhaps a prophet. All those judgments are satanic in nature. Because Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is Christ, the King. Jesus is God incarnate, Emmanuel. So what do you do with Him will determine your fate on that dreadful day. Repent and believe and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Reject and deny Him and you will suffer the consequence of your unbelief for all eternity. Jesus said, judgment is coming. And he said, hell is real. Heaven is real. It's a real place. It's the place where Christ is now seated at the right hand of the Father. But likewise, hell is a real place. And the demons feared to go there. Luke 8, 31. The rich man and Lazarus, the rich man found himself in that terrible place, suffering the agony of the eternal flame and cried out for mercy. There was no mercy. And there was a real separation between him and Lazarus. Hell is a real place, and yet more people believe in heaven than in hell. And, and you know what? I can understand that to a, to a degree. Because if Jesus did not reveal to us the existence of this place, I don't think we would be able or could come up with something as terrifying as that. Scripture describes it as a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of torment, Luke 16, 28. A place of darkness, 2 Peter 2, verse 4. Describes as a pit of darkness, 1 Peter 2, 24. Black darkness, June 1, 13. So you will hear them suffer, but you may not see them. Scripture describes it as a place of fire, Matthew 18, 9. A lake of fire, Revelation 20, 14, 15, and 18. A place of unquenchable fire, Mark 9, 43. And what these teach us, these verses, is that the torment in hell will be excruciating, like being burned, like being seared for all eternity. Have you ever burnt your finger or hand or something? Imagine that for all eternity. It is, it is, it is incomprehensible. It's, it's unimaginable. It is a horrible place. Because of the suffering, but also of the memories. The memories of what grace was like. God's common grace given to all kind, all men. That will be completely gone, absolutely, abs absolutely 
absent. His common grace is His grace that He bestowed on all men, the righteous and the unrighteous. The grace gift of His creation, the beauty of it, the abundance of it, that we can make a living of it, enjoy the, it. His societal graces, that the grace of family, loving relationships with those close to you, the grace of friends, sharing interests, good company, camaraderie, even the grace of government, his gracious counter to total anarchy, chaos and lawlessness, his moral graces, the goodness that exists in this world, the kindness that someone may show you, the, the gentleness that some may exhibit, the love that others may show towards us. All that will be gone. Never to be experienced again, but also never to be forgotten either. Only hatred, malice, anger, bitterness. That's right. Sin will continue in hell. Those who are cast into hell are cast there with their fallen sinful nature. And their hatred and hostility towards God is now locked in for all eternity. They will continue to sin against God. They will continue to rebel against Him. They will continue to despise and hate Him. And also those others with them in that place. In hell, sin is perpetual. And so their misery, their punishment is perpetual, ongoing, eternal. It is a horrible, horrible place of horrible suffering in the company of horrible beings. Unlike the popular belief that hell is a place for those who are cool partygoers, and hell is a place of an endless extravaganza of debauchery and, and wanton depravity. No, it's a place of torment. A place for the vicious. A place for the vindictive. A place for the villainous. For the vile. For the violent. It is a place where Satan and his demons will be. Not to execute judgment on other wicked people but to suffer the most severest punishments in the deepest, darkest, most distressing recesses of hell preserved for those who are totally and utterly wicked. It's a horrible place of suffering in the company of horrible sinners. And it is permanent. On the day the dragnet of the kingdom is drawn together, on the day the angels will take away the wicked in judgment, is the day of no more. No more chances. No more opportunity for redemption. No more deliverance. No more repentance. No more forgiveness. No more mercy. The day the dragnet closed, the day of judgment, is a terrible, terrible day. For the wicked will be taken away to a horrible, horrible place. And may we move heaven and earth to proclaim Christ to all and everyone we meet to keep them in God's grace or by God's grace from going to such a place. Now, having understood or having finished this parable, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them, have you understood these things? These things, of course, refers to the truth of the kingdoms as revealed by Jesus in his parables. 
And the disciples said, yes, yes, they understood. Yes, they grasped that the kingdom of heaven would be different, would be altered, would be changed, at least for now, at least in this period between his first and his second coming. For how long for? Well, they did not know that, but they understood that the kingdom will now be primarily spiritual with Christ reigning in the hearts of men. That the kingdom would be now a mix, uh, uh, of mixed nature consisting of tares and wheat, good and bad fish. That the kingdom, though small to begin with, will expand to an incredible size and pervasive influence. That the kingdom was of immeasurable value, that men who find it, will realize the value of it and be willing to give up everything to be part of it. And that at the end of the age, there will be this judgment, this sorting, this separation of the wicked from the righteous. And that the wicked will be cast away in hell and the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their, their father. And so Jesus then continued and explained to them their role and function in the kingdom. Verse 52 says, Therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out his treasure, things new and old. And so therefore links it really directly to what was said before, their understanding of what he has been teaching them. And really, he, he, he equates them to scribe. Now, scribe really were rabbis who were educated in the law of Moses. They were experts in the law. They were sometimes called lawyers. They were the theologians of the day, if you like, and, and therefore acted as teachers of the law. And the Gospels do not portray them in a very favorable light because they got caught up with all the rabbinic traditions and they really taught a distortion of the law for the most part. And Jesus actually brought correction to their teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. You may remember, he said, you may have heard this said, but I say to you. That's correcting them. And here Jesus used this term of the disciples, those who have become disciples of the kingdom of heaven. Those, that means that they have been discipled by the king. And the verb to become here is passive, which means it's a reference to Jesus making them his disciples, choosing them. They are the ones whom he called. They are the ones whom he taught. They are the ones whom he sent out in chapter 10. They are the ones who took on his yoke upon them and learned from them. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29. And so Jesus was saying that they have become scribes under his discipleship, teachers, for they understood his teaching, his plain teaching, and his parabolic teaching. Not always 100%, we see, that sometimes they need to ask, but when they did not understand, like a good disciple, like a good learner, they ask him, explain it to us, and he explained it further to them. Unlike the others who heard him and did not understand and who never submitted to him as Lord and never looked to him as their teacher, who never became his disciples and therefore never bothered to ask him, they were not his disciples. Now, they, these disciples, with their training and their knowledge, will be like a man who is the head of his house. This is the little parable. Literally the man who rules his house. Oikodespotus. Really a combined word of household and then despot, from which we get the word despot from, uh, which means a, a ruler of his house. And so here he says that there is a, a head of the house and he, and he has a, a box of treasure, a, a chest of valuable, so to speak. Both things new and old, but all valuable. And he would use from this treasure, really, to manage and advance the affairs of his household. Now, the comparison is that the disciples, who have been discipled in the truth of the kingdom and in the ways of the king, the truth of the kingdom as it was prophesied by the law and the prophets, and now the new truth that Jesus was revealing to them and teaching them, new truths of 
Him being the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 18, that He, the new truth about the kingdom of heaven as we saw in Matthew 13, the establishment of His church on Him as the foundation. Remember what Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew 16, he's, he's going to build his church on that. His suffering, his death and resurrection, Matthew 16, 21. And their continued discipleship by him through the spirit of truth, who will guide them in all truth, who will speak not of his own initiative, that is the spirit's initiative, but will take from what is Jesus and disclose to them. Matthew 6, uh, John 16, 13 to 15. Therefore, they will become scribes. They will become the theologians of the church. And that is exactly how the disciples, and later the, who became the apostles, functioned. Their teaching formed the foundation of the church, with Christ himself being the cornerstone. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Really, the, the whole of the New Testament is a product of the scribes, if you like, of Christ under the inspiration of the Spirit. They understood, they, they used the Old Testament and saw it in light of Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, According to the grace of God which was given me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. And another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So that's what the disciples did. They laid the foundation for us in the New Testament. The teachings of old and new. And so the disciples understood the old correctly as fulfilled in Jesus, and therefore able to teach the old in light of the new. They did not discard the old, but used it, used the new really to understand and illuminate the old more fully. And so Jesus was saying, as a disciple of the kingdom, as scribes to the king, teach the full kingdom revelation given by God, old and new. Now, if the consequences of these words are of significance, the, 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 the sequence of these words, he puts the new before old. And usually in Greek, that is to place emphasis on something. So he says he brought out treasures both new and old. So it will seem here that the emphasis is on the new, the new revelation about Christ, that he is Jesus the Savior, that he is Christ the King, that he is Immanuel, God incarnate, and about his teaching on the kingdom. So teach the old. It is valuable and it is necessary for you to understand that the Messiah, Prophet Messiah, is Jesus Christ. That the coming Messiah will save his people. That the coming king will establish his government to which there will be no end and which will be marked by righteousness, justice, and peace. That he will reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And he will restore the nation of Israel to himself and to their land. And that he will reign over them. And he will place under subjection the nations of this world and reverse the curse that was pronounced at the fall. Teach all of that. And teach that Jesus is the Messiah. That he is the Christ, that He is the King. Teach that the kingdom will come. Teach that uh, it will come on, on earth. Teach that His will will be done. Teach that He came to redeem His people, to initiate His kingdom with His first coming and that He is coming again to consummate His kingdom and so teach that the king's return, that until the king's return, it will be primarily spiritual, of a mixed nature, of astounding growth and influence, of immense value, and 
that judgment is coming. Because really the revelation of the kingdom, both old and new, is one revelation. It's about the kingdom of God. And the disciples of the king must take from the treasury of their discipleship both old and new and teach that till the end of this age. And so Jesus came to proclaim, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He has sent us, those who believe in him, with that message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now is the day of salvation. Then will be the day of judgment. And woe is he, woe is she, who is found on that day unrepented and in unbelief. Martin Luther said, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, to be a life of faith, to be a life lived in union with the King, at the King's service, proclaiming the King's message, repent, for the kingdom and the King is coming. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Gracious Father, we, Lord, our hearts are troubled when we, when we read, Lord, of a place or a time of judgment and a place of hell, of punishment. And Lord, we makes us all the more thankful and, and amazed, humbled, Lord, that you would save us not on the basis of anything that we have done, but because of what you have done. And that as we find ourselves in you, by the Spirit, through faith, Lord, all of the blessings that you have accomplished is ours. And Lord, yet you have left us here with a task, a task to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Help us, Lord, to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.